instruction for us all. As I said a little bit earlier, I'm thankful that the whole uh, election is finished with. Of course, it isn't truly finished because they still don't know who won in all cases. So I'm sure in time that will uh, be played out and the country will be able to move on one way or the other. But uh, it gives us time now to kind of refocus on who we are as Christians and what our priorities should be. It really isn't politics. It isn't elections. God has given us a commission. He has given us work to do, and we need to be about our Father's business, just as Jesus said in his younger years and when he said to his mother. But uh, I want to start reading here in Philippians chapter 1 and beginning in verse 27. Because as we see so much turmoil and confusion around us in this society, and it's going to continue on, Paul gives us some instruction here as to where our focus should be and what our lives should be about. Notice what he says here in Philippians 1, verses 27 and 28. Listen carefully. Whatever happens, so no matter what's going on in the world around us, in our country around us, in our society, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. So we're going to break this down and see what Paul is telling us. As I said, these are words of encouragement for us and a reminder how we should be living in the midst of this world and this society. He's telling us that whatever the situation is that you face in life, so he says, whatever happens, so no matter what you're dealing with in your life, what's going on around you, Conduct yourself in a manner appropriate to the standards and goals given within the gospel. That's what we should be about. Now, this phrase that Paul uses in verse 27, conduct yourself in a manner worthy, uh, the Greek in which Paul writes, which I don't understand totally, but this word or this phrase here has to do with living a life that corresponds to the customs of your homeland. So in other words, as Americans, we know that the basis of our life is the Constitution, uh, you know, the laws of the land, the customs of the land that we have here. And to be good citizens in America, you live, you alter your life to live within those laws and those customs. And that's basically the meaning of that phrase that Paul uses. But for us, we know that our citizenship is not of this country, and it's not of this world. Now, we dwell in America, and we're very thankful for it. But when you come right down to it, our citizenship when we became Christians, has been changed, hasn't it? 
And here, uh, just a page or two later, in Philippians 3, verse 20, Paul explains that change. Philippians 3 and verse 20, he says here, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we become a Christian, our citizenship changes. Like I said, we still live in America. We don't live in heaven yet. We live in America. We're thankful to be here. And we need to make sure that we live as proper citizens of this country. But our real citizenship is in heaven, where God dwells. So what Paul is telling us here is that we are to bring our lives not just into the conformity of the laws and rules and regulations of America, but we're to bring our lives into conformity with our true homeland, heaven as a good citizen of heaven. So our standards as Christians are higher than the standards of the people around us. We hope that the people who live here follow the rules and regulations, are law-abiding people. They're, they're not all the time. We certainly should be. But our standard goes beyond that. We have a higher standard to follow because we're citizens of heaven itself. So notice again in verse 27, he says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of also the gospel of Christ. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that we somehow are worthy of the gospel or deserve the gospel. That's not what Paul's talking about. It means that you should live your Christian life in a way that shows that the gospel and all that the gospel promises is worth more than anything else in the world. That's what it means to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That the gospel is most important in our lives. All the benefits that we understand now and believe that we receive through the gospel, that's worth more than anything else in in our lives and to us in this world. Now, basic question, what is the gospel? Everybody should be able to understand that or be able to explain that. What is the gospel? Well, let's look at a few scriptures. Hold your place because we'll come back here. But let's turn first of all to Isaiah 52 and verse 7. Because it talks about the gospel way back here. Isaiah 52 and verse 7. This is what the prophet Isaiah was inspired to write. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. So the gospel is, by definition, is first and foremost good news. It was good news for us when we heard it and came to believe it, And it should be good news for everybody that we proclaim it to. Gospel, the word gospel comes from the Old English. God, G-O-D, which means good. 
in Old English, and spell, God spell, spell means proclamation in Old English. So God spell, that's where we get our word gospel from, means the proclamation of good, of good news. And that's what the gospel is, because as it says here in Isaiah, it has to do with peace, it has to do with good tidings, and it has to do with salvation. And it's all about the fact that God reigns in this world. Not man, not woman, but God is in charge and God reigns. So when we live through difficult times, that's always good to remember, and it's very encouraging to remember that. It's God who is in charge. No government, no particular political party, no uh, human king or prince or whatever the case may be, God is in charge. So that gives, starts to help us to understand what the gospel is all about. It's good news. It's about peace. It's about God being in charge. Now let's look at Mark 1 in the gospels. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Mark 1, verses 14 and 15. This is what Jesus said early on in his ministry. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming, notice, the good news of God. He's starting to preach the gospel, and this is what he said. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So it's a message about Jesus Christ. It's a message from God. It's a good, good message. It has to do with good news, bringing good changes to your life. That's the gospel. I'll look at another one a little later on in Mark, chapter 10 and verse 45. Mark 10 and verse 45. Jesus further clarifies the gospel, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what does this gospel have to do with? Why is it good news? Because it has to do with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, coming to this world, which he did, and giving his life as a ransom for many. In other words, he came to this earth to live and to die, and his death would pay a penalty that we all owed because of our sins. So that's good news, because we realize we're all sinners. We personally have sinned countless times over the course of our life. And we always kind of felt in the back of our minds that we were somehow going to get in trouble for doing those wrong things. And sure enough, we did get into trouble. We brought upon ourselves a death penalty because of our sins. But the good news is that Jesus, as the Son of God, came to this earth to die and to somehow pay the cost that we all owed. One more here in 1 Corinthians 15. We're coming to understand what the gospel is by looking at just several different scriptures to get a, 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 the gist of it. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1. Paul says, Now, brothers, I want you to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved 
If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So this good news has to do with this Jesus Christ, the Son of God coming to earth, dying, and then rising again from the dead, proving that he truly was the Son of God and that his sacrifice was effectual for the sins of the whole human race. So those are just a few scriptures that give us the gist of what the gospel is. The gospel of Christ is the good news that Jesus Christ who was equal with God, the scripture tells us, who was the son of God, became a human being. He obeyed God perfectly. He died and rose again so that now by a union with him on our part, if we believe who he is, accept him as savior, all who believe will be counted righteous where we weren't righteous before. We were sinners. But now somehow he makes us righteous through his righteousness and we are saved from sin and destruction and we belong to Christ forever in the resurrection of the dead. And this is the good news that we are to share with the unsaved. So that's what Paul means back here. We'll go back now to Philippians chapter 1. In Philippians 1, where Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So in other words, our conduct, our way of thinking, cannot be like the people around us in this world. We're to be different. We're to consider what has been done for us through the gospel, how God sent his son down to this earth to die on our behalf, to renew us, to cause us to be born again, to receive the Holy Spirit. So whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. With all that in mind, with all that God has now done for you and the changes he's bringing back in our life, conduct yourself with that in mind. So that means that our attitude, our conduct should be better. Why? Because we have been saved. Because the gospel is great in our lives and it has brought about tremendous changes for the better. So that's basically what Paul is telling us. That's why our conduct, that's why our way of thinking should be better because we keep in mind the reality of the gospel that we believe in and the changes that's been brought about in our life because of it. Now, I don't know about you, but I struggle with this from time to time. I found myself during this election period getting in bad attitudes, getting upset and frustrated. And I've told you before how I just have to turn the TV off because my blood pressure starts going through the roof. I'm upset by the unfairness of it all. I'm upset by the lies that are told, the exaggerations that are you know, made. Uh, if there's been skullduggery in this whole election process with people stealing votes and this and that, what can you do? You just pull your hair out. But nevertheless, we don't have the excuse for our conduct to kind of sink 
to the levels that a lot of people in this society demonstrate. We must be different. We have to let the truth of the gospel of Christ control our attitudes, control the things we say, control the things that we do. We need to be different. We need to be able to rise above this stuff. Okay? So what exactly is a manner of life worthy of the gospel? We know what the gospel is. We are to believe it. We're to receive it. It makes us who we are now as Christians. But how do we live in a fitting way demonstrating all the benefits we enjoy from the gospel and showing the worth of the gospel in our lives. Well, back here to Philippians. He goes on to say, we're in verse 27, verse 28. Well, I'll read the end of verse 27 again. He says, then when I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you Stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. So here we see four different ways as to how we live in a way befitting the gospel. Let's look at them one by one. The first thing that Paul tells us to do is to stand firm. To stand firm in one spirit. Now, what does that mean? We're not knocked down by the disappointments of life. Whether they're the national disappointments of life, whether they're the personal disappointments of life, no matter what kind of disappointments we face, where things don't go quite the way we hoped that they would go, or it may be attacks by our enemies on us, we're not knocked down by these things. We're able to stand firm in one spirit. So the church as a whole, we're led by one spirit, the Holy Spirit, but it's also talking about the spirit within us. We're not easily knocked down by the difficulties of life. So when you're at work, when you're dealing with your friends, when you're dealing with your relatives, God has given us the wherewithal, and he continues to do that on a daily basis, to help us to stand strong in one spirit. Sure, disappointments in life, tragedies in life can discourage us. You know, they may uh, smack us around a little bit, but we're not defeated by these things. We're not destroyed by these things. Now, people around us, and again, I don't want to make it sound like we're better than other people. We are what God has made us to be. We rely on God's strength, not our own strength. So it should be noticeable at time that when we in, uh, uh, go through difficulties in life, it doesn't destroy us. We're able to stand firm in one spirit. And it's very encouraging to each of us when we see our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ, able to handle things like that. You know, we've been together long enough in this congregation to know one another and to know what each one of us has gone through. We've lost loved ones over the years who have died. We have suffered 
injuries, we have had surgeries and operations, we struggle health-wise from time to time. We've got people in the uh, congregation who have struggled with divorces over the years. They've been difficult, but they haven't defeated us. We've been able to stand firm in one spirit by the grace of God and by the strength of God. So this is the first way, Paul says, that we live in a manner worthy of the gospel. We stand firm in one spirit. Even, like I said, when we're attacked by our enemies, God gives us the strength to do that. But he goes on to say, you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. So standing firm in the spirit is defensive. The second point is offensive. We contend as one man for the faith of the gospel. In other words, we're moving into the world, living and sharing the gospel. That's why we've been given the gospel, not just for our own personal salvation. I mean, that's great and that's wonderful, and we'll enjoy that for eternity. But God has given us a commission to live and share the gospel with others. So that's the offensive mode. So again, that's what it means to live in a, a life worthy of the gospel. Not just to stand firm in one spirit, but contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Living it and sharing it. And he goes on to say the third way that we live a life worthy of the gospel He says in verse 28, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. So the third manner is to be fearless. We're not afraid. And the country around us is very fearful. People are worried about, okay, what changes are going to happen now with this election? Will it ever be totally solved as to who got elected? And what changes are going to happen now? What's going to happen to the economy? Uh, What about this COVID thing? Are these things that we're going through now permanent? Is this thing ever going to go away? People are very fearful about it. God says, don't be fearful. Because God's in charge. And we're his beloved sons and daughters. You know, in this letter, Paul himself There was a a tendency to be fearful of different things. One of the things that Paul could have been fearful about, he wasn't, but being in prison. Being in prison. Notice uh, what he says in chapter 1, verses 12 and 14. Philippians 1, 12 and 14. He says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, he's writing this letter from prison, What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So Paul could see that even by being thrown into prison for nothing that he did, all he was doing was preaching the gospel, but the authorities didn't like that, so they locked him up. And Paul is saying here, you know what? It turns out it was a good thing that I got thrown into prison because it's advancing the gospel. Verse 13, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. 
Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. So we can be fearful today thinking, well, what's going to happen with the church? Are are they going to close churches again because of this virus? Or what about with a new administration coming into office? What is their view going to be about the church? Our church is going to be quick to be closed for the drop of a hat or for whatever reason. God says, don't worry. What might seem to be a negative can turn out to be a, a tremendous positive. So Paul was not afraid of being thrown into prison. His being in prison was an inspiration to the rest of the church. They thought, well, if Paul was willing to go through all of this for for the gospel, what should we be willing to do? And it encouraged them to do much more. Not only is there a fear of prison, but there's a, a fear of loss. Because, you know, once you're thrown in prison, you lose your job, you lose your source of income. Let's look at Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13. Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13. Paul had good times and bad times in his life. He had periods of of plenty, and he had periods of lack. And you might think, well, how could he possibly have have survived that? What would happen if I lost my job? What would happen if I lost the things that I had? Here's the lesson that he learned, Philippians 4, verse 11. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. So we all kind of panicked. Remember several weeks ago when there was a big run on things at the store? And, and that's the first time I can remember going to Walmart and seeing empty shelves. You know, they've got a, a, a line of, of bread on the shelf that goes from, from here to that wall. And I'm used to going in there and having my pick of anything I want, whatever kind of bread I want. But I remember going in there the other week and in the midst of all this, and that whole shelf was empty. And I thought, wow, I have never seen that before. And when that happens, people go into panic, panic mode. You know, they're they're just loading everything off the shelves into their baskets, whether they need it or not. God said, don't do that. You don't have to worry about that. And Paul experienced that in his life. And and what was the result? He said, you know what, whether I have a lot or whether I'm in need, I don't panic because God's going to supply all the things that I need. He says here in Philippians 4, verse 19, as I read for the uh, offering, he says, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Another thing that you can fear is death. We don't like to think about death, but people have a fear of death. Did Paul have a fear of death? Philippians 1, verse 20. So we should not be fearful even when it comes to death. Paul says this in Philippians 1, verse 20. 
I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. What does it mean? What does he mean by that? To die is gain. Well, we're living this physical life. Most of us have been around for many miles. <laughs> and we're feeling the effects of 60 or 70 or 80 years on this earth. And the body wears down and we struggle a lot of times. But Paul says, when we die, that's gain. Because instantly we're with God. We put this physical body with all of its aches and pains aside, all of its weaknesses, it's going to be put aside. And we're going to be in God's presence instantly, and that is gain. So the time comes in life. Nobody likes to die young, but certainly as we grow older, death is something we're anticipating. We don't always feel, you know, super happy about it, but it's an inevitability. Someday our number will be called, like everybody's number has been called throughout history. It's a certainty that we're all going to die. Paul didn't fear it. He was going to make sure that whatever he did, whether in life or death, that God was going to be glorified. Notice what he says in chapter 3, verse 21. who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control <clears throat> will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So when death comes, we know when Jesus Christ returns, our, our change will happen. We'll be brought from physical to glorious. And there's a new body prepared for us that we will receive at that time. So there's no need to be fearful. Death from this physical form is inevitable, but there are good things ahead. And somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ doesn't know that truth. And they may worry about death, and they may fear death, but we don't. Paul didn't, and we shouldn't either. So we're talking about what is the manner of life worthy of the gospel? Standing firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened, even by those who oppose you, those who make fun of you because of your beliefs, those who persecute you because of your beliefs. We shouldn't fear any of that. And then the final, the fourth point is unity. Because throughout this passage, he talks about unity. One spirit, one mind, doing things as one man, the church working side by side as one unit for the same purpose. It always reminded me of when we used to work together with our kolache bakes, one of our great fundraisers over the years. We used to all go over to Fitch High School, maybe 50, 60 of us, and work all day side by side with one, one purpose, working in unity to earn money as a fundraiser for the church. So unity is something that Paul wanted to see amongst the Philippians. Unity is what God still wants to see among us today. 
Here in Philippians 2, beginning in verse 1, he talks about unity. And notice what he says. Philippians 2, 1, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. And that's why I kept reminding you, you know, as we approach the uh, election, we've got to rise above that. Let's focus on what makes us unified rather than what divides us. And even within the churches, there has been division throughout the whole election process. You know, we're free to vote for whoever we want to vote for, but let's all remember that that is not our main purpose. That's not what holds us together as the body of Christ. And he talks about how you get unity as he, we read on here in verse 3, chapter 2, verse 3. Here's how we become unified. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. All have a serving attitude here. Don't come to church worried about what I'm going to get out of this. But when we come to church, let's be concerned about each other. Who can I pray for today? Who can I help somehow today? Somebody's, you know, trying to get out to their car through the door. Let me get over there and hold the door for them. Make it easy for them. A serving attitude. He says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And by doing that, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Because didn't he have that same attitude? He came to serve he goes on to say in verse 6, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. So we're to follow the example of Jesus. Unity requires humility and considering others more important than yourself like Jesus did. You know, that, that applies to the church, that applies to a family. How can a family, physical family, be unified? Everybody's got a serving attitude. And they're looking out for the best interests of others. And here in chapter 2, verse 20, Paul cites Timothy, who set a good example of that. He was going to send Timothy to, to Philippi, and notice uh, what he says here, chapter 2, verse 20. Well, verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. So he said, when Timothy comes to you, take note. Follow his example, because he's got it. It, it clicked with him. He knows what it's all about. Have a serving attitude. And when we all have a serving attitude, that really promotes unity. Whether it's in the church, whether it's in your physical family, whether it's at work, your work setting. 
Now, Paul closes out this section with something very interesting here in Philippians 1, verse 28. After talking about living a life in, in a manner worthy of the gospel and explaining what that means, he says this. Philippians 1, verse 28. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. So whenever we are opposed, whenever there's somebody persecuting us, somebody who's objecting to the gospel, maybe criticizing our lives as a Christian, instead of being impressed by it somehow, they make fun of it. They think that you're a wimp because you don't, uh, you know, you're not looking out for your own interests. You're just kind of a servant, a lowly person. And sometimes people will criticize that in us. But Paul says, don't worry. Let them criticize. Let them oppose you. But eventually they're going to see that their God is earthly things. Their God. When they're confronted by people who are not frightened, like we are not frightened, they realize that they worship an inferior God. When they see the things that are important to them in the world come crashing down, or they don't work out exactly like they thought it would, and again, you know, referring to the election, in some cases, the person that they voted for didn't get elected, and their whole world is, is crushed now. Hopefully someday that they're going to realize that the God that they worship in this world is an inferior God, and the God that we worship is supreme. God will destroy those who persecute the church. We know that from Scripture. So don't be dismayed when you are faced with things that you might consider to be negative in life. God encourages us to stand firm. Why? Because we're Christians. And because he's strengthening, strengthening us daily. He tells us to contend in unity for the faith of the gospel. Live and share the gospel every day. And not to be frightened. Because God is in control. And we may face some things that on the surface seem kind of frightening. Don't worry about it. Even if it's prison, even if it's suffering loss, even if it's death. Don't worry. God's going to work it out for us. And do it in a unified fashion. And don't worry about the people who may come against you, the people who criticize you or persecute you for, for your beliefs. God's going to take care of them. We hope that someday they see the error of their ways and come to have faith in Jesus Christ. But even if they don't, God is going to take care of them. Don't let it get to you. So conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's what we're to be about. So now as the rest of the year goes on and our life kind of gets back to normal in a sense, let's focus on that. What does the gospel mean to you? How have you benefited from it? And how should that change you? Because it is changing all of us. And the changes that have been brought about in our life are eternal. Because now we face a future being with God for all eternity.
and being in relationship with him and getting to, to know him more intimately. And that's what eternal life is all about. And that's what our future is. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us more understanding as to what was Paul was telling the church at Philippi. That we have a responsibility, no matter what happens in our lives, that we are to live a lifestyle worthy of the gospel of Christ. And it is Jesus Christ himself who has made us worthy. Through his perfect obedience, through his death and resurrection, this is what you've called us to be, Father. So we thank you for it. We know it's a lifelong process, but we just pray that daily you'll give us that strength to stand firm. You'll help us with any fear we might have. You'll help us to live and share the gospel with others and to do it in unity because we're going to focus on what we have in common, not what makes us different. And even though the, the society and the world around us is coming apart at the seams, we're not to be like that. We have a strong future that we can count on because of Jesus Christ. We owe it all to him. So, Father, again, we love you. And we pray this all now in Jesus' name. Amen.